evening, Ezra chapter number 8. And uh, we preached out of chapter 9 this morning on uh, a little space by God's grace. Aren't you thankful when we're in sin? We ought not be in sin, but there's times when we allow sin into our lives. And aren't you thankful when we do that God still bestows grace upon us and uh, gives us an opportunity to turn and to repent, to live right? Well, in Ezra chapter number 8, there's a phrase that caught my attention as I was reading through this chapter. And I want to preach to you for a few moments out of about three verses in Ezra chapter 8. Now, we could read the entire chapter, but I'll go ahead and tell you it's a little bit weighty. A lot of genealogy is found in Ezra chapter number 8. And uh, then after the genealogy, you've got a list of all of the things that they brought to Jerusalem. But in between those two things, we have a narrative, a little snippet of history and story for us about what they did when faced with the responsibility of doing something for God. And I believe if we study this tonight, and I believe if we open our hearts to it, we might get a little help out of the Word of God. Look with me at verse number 21. We'll read down to verse number 23. Ezra, in recounting this story, says this, "...then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God, to seek of Him a right way for us, and for our little ones, and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Look at back at verse number 21. I want you to notice this again. Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us, and for our little ones, and for all our substance. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we thank you for this privilege, Lord, that we've exercised week after week, but let us never take for granted the privilege it is to gather in your house. Now, Lord, as we are met here with your word, your people, your spirit, songs that we believe uplifts the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit stirring and working, Lord, you've given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. May we now, Lord, use them and employ them in a way that bring you glory and draw us closer to you. I pray that you'd open our eyes tonight to these truths and that you'd apply them to our heart. We'll be sure to give you thanks for it. We ask all these things now in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in the purpose behind this little episode that Ezra relays to us in verse 21. He says that there at the river of Ahava, they proclaimed a fast, and the reason was this. He said to seek a right way for us. Could I put it in language that might be a little more familiar with, uh, with us today? Ezra says, we stopped for a moment, we proclaimed a fast, we prayed, we afflicted ourselves, because we wanted to know the will of God for our lives and for our days. Let me say that the greatest success that any person can ever enjoy is to find the will of God and to do it. If you can find the will of God and do it, then you've got it all settled. If you can find the will of God and do it, it may mean poverty for you, although it will not mean starvation, but it may mean poverty for you. It, it may mean that you might not be rich in this world's goods. 
It may mean that it's a pathway that is dark and bumpy at times. It may mean trials that you weren't expecting. It may mean difficulties that you did not plan for. But if you can find and do the will of God, you're better off than the vast majority of people that are bumping around on this planet. And Ezra, as he is traveling back to Jerusalem, he's not there yet. He tells us exactly where they're at, the river Ahava. You say, where's that? Well, nobody knows. <laughs> Somewhere between Babylon and Jerusalem. But as he pauses b- about, beside this river, he acknowledges that there is a need for a knowledge of the will of God in his life. Now, let me say that never has there been a day when fewer Christians know the will of God for their life than the day that we're living in today. Most people do what they do because of what they would call happenstance coincidence. Most people, when they make decisions, they might consult with their spouse. They might consult with their workplace. They might consult uh, with a financial planner. But very few people, when they go to make a decision, pray to find the will of God in that matter. Now, I believe an omniscient God has an opinion about your life and mine. I believe that a God that notices when the sparrow falls from the heavens, I believe that a God that knows the number of hairs that rests on your head has an opinion about the things in your life and mine. And if He has an opinion, we ought to seek that opinion. If He has a will, and the Word of God teaches us that He does have a will, He does have a desire for us, then you and I, we ought to endeavor to know that will and to obey that will. Now, I understand that there is the revealed will of God, and uh, or we might call it this way, there's the implicit will of God. You say, what does that mean? That means the implied will of God. There are certain things that are the will of God for you and the will of God for me because the Word of God teaches they're good for us. And then there's the explicit will of God. There's few things in the Word of God that God doesn't leave it up to any chance or any debate or any wondering. He says, this is the will of God for you. And He says that about several things. And then there's what we might call the distinct or the personal will of God. Now, the will of God for my life might be different than the will of God for your life. Uh, God, I, I mean, uh, listen, I, I promise you, I, we just bought a new house. It's the will of God for us to live there. It's not the will of God for you to live there. Somebody say amen. Right? I mean, I'm not covetous, you know, but I like my personal space. And so that was the will of God for me. That's not the will of God for you. I believe God has a will about where you live, about what you do, about the job that you have, about who you marry, about uh, the way that we raise our children, the decisions that we make, where you go to church. I believe God cares about all that. I believe He's interested in all that. I believe He has an opinion about all that. And I believe that our lives will go the best when we seek to know and to implement that will in our day-to-day lives. Well, Ezra felt the same way. Here they are, sort of at a crossroads, and we'll talk about why that is later on in the message. But they're at a place where they've got to make a decision. They want to go forward, but they don't know how to go forward. And so they begin to seek the will of God for their lives. And I want us to notice four things this evening, really three, but we'll throw a fourth one in there for the price of three, about the will of God and knowing the will of God for our lives. Now, I want you to notice, number one, their approach to knowing the will of God. If God has a will, and if God wants us to know His will, how do we know God's will? Now, I think that's probably the the single most prevalent question that most people have, but especially in the time that I was a youth pastor, that young people have 
How do I know the will of God? Now, there is a lot of truth, and you've heard me say this before, that, that uh, you know, young people, they always want to know everything on down the line, and adults are sort of that way too, but young people, they always, you know, they, they want to know the will of God, who they're going to marry, and where they're going to go to church, and where they're going to live, and how big their house is going to be. God does have a will about all those things. But let me say that God has a way of unfolding His will to us. Now, God may not tell you what you need to do four miles down the road, but He will tell you what you need to do four steps down the road. And so as we seek the will of God, it's important to note that Ezra, and we'll talk about it here in a little while, you just bear with me, Ezra is not seeking to know what he needs to do 20 years down the road. They are at a crisis point and a decision point, and Ezra needs to know what direction to go and how they're going to get there. And so that is the chief question that most people would ask their pastor. How do I know the will of God, preacher? Well, I want you to notice three things that they did that I believe will help us to know the will of God. Notice what it says in verse 21. Ezra says, first off, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahav. I will say a word about this fast that they proclaimed. Now, you know what a fast is if you're a Bible student. and If you're not, though, I'll tell you that a fast is to abstain bodily, chiefly from food, Although uh, some people would say you could fast from other things as well, but every time you see it in the Bible, it's a fast from food. And the means of this, or the purpose of this, I guess we should say it that way, the, the, the goal of this uh, is to afflict your flesh, to bring your flesh into subjection, to remind yourself that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, that's the answer that Christ gave to Satan in the midst of the wilderness when Christ had been fasting 40 days and uh, Satan comes up and seeks to tempt him. And that's his answer. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. So a fast, I would say that the chief purpose of it or the chief design of it is to remind our flesh that it doesn't get to be in control. To remind ourselves that there's more important things in this world than the food that we put in our mouth. Now, let me say that's a hard thing for this preacher to preach. Amen? And it might be hard for some of us to listen to. But I want you to get the, the, the truth that is behind it, the theme that is behind it. Again, I don't think it's necessarily focused on food. I think food uh, is the thing it's focused on because that's what's most vital to most of us. I mean, most of us, uh, you know, 12 o'clock or 12.30 rolls around and our stomach starts talking. Amen? And the preaching's going on, and we're trying to listen, and we're trying to get some help. And our stomach's saying, hey, Arby's, right? Or it's saying, hey, Cracker Barrel. And so the design of fasting is to remind your flesh that it's not in charge. That there are more important things in this world than, than satisfying any sort of temporal or, or carnal. I don't necessarily mean carnal in a wicked way, but I mean that which is of the flesh, uh, that which is physical. There's more important things than that in this world. But the thing that I think we can draw from this, and by the way, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't fast. I believe fasting is a scriptural New Testament practice. I don't think we need to go about with a long face like the Pharisees. I don't think we need to announce to everybody uh, when, they're, you know, when we're fasting. It's funny, you'll see these folks on Facebook, they'll talk about their fasting. I'm thinking, hey, neighbor, that's not what a fast is for. Not to get on Facebook and brag about it. I mean, you might as well go ahead and eat your hamburger if that's the way you're going to fast. Because it's to be a private matter, and it's to be a personal matter, and it's to be a divine matter. But I believe the truth that we can really gain and glean from this passage is this. When it came time to know the will of God, they got serious about it. They got, there ain't nothing much more serious that you can do to know and find the will of God than to fast about it. And when the time came that they needed to know the will of God, 
They put everything aside. The Bible says that Ezra and them had been there uh, sleeping in tents for three days. They put everything aside. They shifted their focus from everything else. They began to fast and pray and seek the will of God because the will of God was that important to them. Let me say that it would be a good day in our lives when finding the will of God would become our chief activity. It become more important than the distractions. I think one of the greatest challenges to the Christian walk today is that we live in a world of distractions. I mean, there's always something buzzing, always something ringing, always somebody uh, on the bell, always somebody trying to get our attention, always something to go do. And oftentimes, in the midst of that busyness, the voice of God and the work of God gets drowned out, and sometimes we just need to unplug and step back and get focused on what is the priority in our life. Because I can tell you this, you may get the best job that... They've got in the world. You may get a bank account that'd be the envy of kings and emperors. You may have health uh, that people would die for, no pun intended. But if you ain't doing the will of God, you're not doing anything. If you're, let me say that again. I think I don't know if you need help or I need help or maybe we all need help. But I think we really need to get that. If you're not doing the will of God, you're not doing anything worth doing. That's the primary. That's the main thing. Whatever the will of God is, that's what's right. And that's what you need to be seeking. And they got serious about this thing. Let me say that most of us, there are some that run from the will of God. But most of the folks that's going to be in church on Sunday night, it's not a question of whether they're running from the will of God. It's it's a question of whether they're running to the will of God. I think most of y'all in here, you're not here because you're trying to get away from God. I mean, you're not, I hope you're not two or three steps from a whale's belly. I hope you're not here because you, you came to not hear from God. I believe you're here because you came to hear from God. But the question is this, how serious are you about knowing and doing the will of God? How serious, how vital of a matter is it for you to know God's mind about a matter? Because I'll tell you this, that's when we begin to make missteps. When we step out of the will of God, we begin to make mistakes. Now, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes day in and day out, whether I'm in the will of God or out of the will of God. But we find this to be true, uh, that men in Scripture, when they made that conscious decision to walk away from the will of God, it seemed like every time after then they, they, they became men that lacked discernment. When you look at the life of David, can I give you a for instance with the life of David? Uh, David had, uh, in confidence, been trusting God to protect him uh, from King Saul. But all of a sudden, King David, he gets it in his mind that he needs the Philistines to watch over him. And he goes down to Ziklag, and from there, there is mistake after mistake after mistake in David's life. He finds himself being in subjection to the Philistines. This is David. This is the one that as a little boy, God guided the stone from his sling to slay the giant that was the champion of their army. And now here he is begging them for protection because he stepped out of the will of God. The Apostle Paul. People don't like to say anything negative about Paul. I don't know why he ain't here. But people just don't like to say anything about negative uh, about the Apostle Paul. But Paul made the same choice in his life. There came a time when Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem. And God said, Paul, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. You say, how do you know that? Well, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall anything be established. Paul had at least four or five different separate groups of people along the, read the book of Acts, along the path that told Paul, it's not the will of God for you. You need to back away from that. And Paul said this, none of these things move me. Now, I know you've heard preachers, and I've heard preachers, and I've probably got up and preached to myself, that get up and preach about that. None of these things move me, neither count on my life so dear. But when Paul says that, those things that he's talking about, none of these things, those were God's roadblocks. 
God was trying to keep Paul from shipwrecking his life, literally and figuratively. Paul steps out of the will of God. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem like it or not. You know what happens when he gets to Jerusalem? First thing he does is he takes a Jewish vow. The man that God used to write the book of Galatians takes a Jewish vow and brings himself into subjection to the rudiments of the world. The next thing that happens, Paul gets up and he starts to preach and he starts to uh, testify about God's salvation. And, uh, of course, a crowd gathers. And every time you, you can follow through the book of Acts, the name of Paul and the word uproar <laughs> every time in the book of Acts. And Paul stands up and there's an uproar and they take him and they put him in prison and they're getting ready to, uh, to afflict him and they're getting ready to make a decision about him. You know what Paul says? He, he, he cries out and he says this, I appeal unto Caesar. Now, this is a man that didn't bow at anyone's knees except the Son of God. But all of a sudden, he's appealing unto Caesar. You know what happens? Paul was a Roman citizen. They were bound legally. He had, when he said that, he had a right to go before Caesar. And so Paul spends the next two years of his life under house arrest, waiting to go there. And, and God still uses him. He gets to be a witness in front of Festus and Felix and Agrippa. But you know what they say? They say, if this man hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would have let him go. You know what happened in Paul's life? He stepped out of the will of God. And that hedge of discernment left his life. And all of a sudden now, he's making mistakes left and right. I'm just saying this tonight. We need to get serious about this thing of knowing God's will. We need to get serious about this thing. Most Christians aren't serious about it. I hope you are serious about it. It's that important. I want you to notice their fast, but then I want you to notice their feebleness. What does it say? They proclaim to fast there. Why? That we might afflict ourselves... Before God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. It has the idea of, of depressing yourself, lowering yourself. And you'll find it all the way through the Bible, and it has to do with the idea of someone prostrating themselves before God Almighty. You know what they were saying? They were saying this. Notice not only their, their fast, but I want you to notice their feebleness. They said, we want to take our proper position before an Almighty God, and that proper position is not standing with our fists in defiance, but is face down at His feet. You know what they were doing? They were acknowledging that they didn't know the right way. i tell you something, it'd help a lot of us if we'd just own up to the fact that we don't have all the answers. If we'd just own up to the fact we don't know. I mean, listen, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's a daunting task to go through this world and live for Jesus Christ. We got parents, young families in here, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a parent to a young child. Man, it's okay to not have all the answers. We just need to remember we have a relationship with the one that has all the answers. And we'd be a lot better if instead of thinking we do have all the answers. And some of our older people, you can testify to this. Uh, because I'm going to tell you something, it's easy to raise kids when you didn't have none. Somebody say amen to that. Man, there's no easier job in the world than raising kids when you didn't have any. I'm not being cruel, I'm not being ugly, I'm just saying that there's things you can't anticipate. With your life, with your spouse, with your home, whatever constitutes that home, it's a daunting thing to lead it for the glory of God. We need to acknowledge we don't have all the answers. I don't know what the right thing for my life might be two months from now. And I know what the Word of God teaches, but I don't know what's going to happen. Listen, before this week's up, I could be laid up in a hospital bed. Before this week's up, I could be in the throes of poverty. Before this week is up, my whole world could be in pieces around me. And what am I going to say then? I'm going to have to say the same thing then that I'm saying to you tonight, which is this. I may not know everything, and I may not have the answers, but friend, I'm hooked up and plugged up to a God that does. 
He's got the answers. He knows. And so they acknowledged their feebleness. They afflicted themselves. They lowered themselves in the eyes of God. And they said, we admit that we need help. You ever met somebody that couldn't ask for help? I've met that person. I've been that person sometimes. Couldn't ask for help. We better get over it because we need help whether we'll ask for help or not. There's going to be times we're going to have to ask for help. There's going to be times we're going to have to admit, I don't know, God, and you need to lead me. We see their feebleness, but I want you to notice their faith. Notice what they said in the next phrase. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava. Why? That we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him, now I like this, a right way for us. Now, they get serious about finding the will of God. They acknowledge that they don't know the will of God, but then you know what they do? They acknowledge that the will of God is the right way for them. There's a lot of different ways you can go. I promise you, there is no shortage of advice in this digital age that we live in. Pick any topic. I don't care what it is. We, got, we started to get moles in our yard. I don't know why. I don't know where. I live three minutes from my parents. I don't ever remember one mole growing up. But there's something about our yard. It's holy moly everywhere that you turn around and look. Go ahead. Get rid of moles. That's, just Google it. Get rid of moles. You'll find things that say that you need to get your yard wetter. You'll find things that say you need to get your yard dried out. You'll find things that say you need to get a dog. You'll find things that say you need to get a cat. You'll find things that say you need to get poison. You'll find things that say you need to get a trap. You got, uh, there's, uh, you'll find things that tell you you need an exorcist. It don't matter what it is. There's advice everywhere. I was writing a little article about being a new parent and about raising your family in church. And you know one of the dangerous things about advice, good advice, is that people that need advice by virtue of needing advice, don't know good advice from bad advice. If they knew good advice from bad advice, they wouldn't need advice. And I found this to be true when, I, when we were getting ready to have a little one, that everybody has a word of advice, and it's much appreciated. But at the end of the day, I have to look to God to give me wisdom and discernment. We pray every night when we pray with little man. We have our own prayer times, but when we pray as a family, we ask God to give us wisdom and unction to parent. And I believe it needs both those things. I think we need the wisdom of the Word of God, and I think we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost to lead our family right. I think we need that. And the reality is this. They were saying, Lord, there's a lot of ways we could go. And there's a lot of things. They weren't out of options, by the way. You notice what he says in the next verse? He said, I'd be ashamed to require of the king uh, uh, an army and horsemen to lead us. Now, if you read the context of the book of Ezra, they had already been given a blank check by the king of Persia. He said, whatever you need, whatever you want, uh, you'll go out through the land, take taxes of people, and whatever they can't pay, it'll come out of the king's treasury. Uh, The king of Persia said, I'm for the Jews. I want to see their kingdom built. I want to see the temple built. I'm for you. It would have been no great leap for them to have sent word and said, hey, here we are at the river of Ahava, and we have to make our way to Jerusalem, and there's many perils in the way. Would you send a garrison of soldiers to lead us? They had options, but they recognized this. Though there are many ways... There is only one right way. That's not your way, and that's not my way. That's God's way. They had faith that the will of God was right. Now, that's something we all have faith in on paper. But do we live that? Do we really believe that the will of God is right for our lives, whatever it might be? 
I'll tell you this. One of the perversions that you'll see in a lot of the new Bibles is they say this. The NIV had said this for a lot of time. I don't know if they've changed it by now, but they, they changed Proverbs chapter 3 to say this, that if you trusted in the Lord, God would make your path straight. Now, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know that's not true. I wish we had straight paths. I wish there weren't any bends or corners or turns. I wish we could see everything coming straight ahead. But that's not the reality of life. But your Bible does say that if we'll trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding, He'll direct thy paths. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll take you along the way. And we have to have a faith that the will and the way of God is right. It may lead you in some ways you're not expecting. It may lead you into some valleys that you weren't looking for. But it's at those times, more than any other times, that we need to have a concrete confidence that the will of God is what is right, no matter what. The devil will seek to tell us that the will of God is not right for us. The world will seek to tell us that there's a better way. Let me tell you something. Every time you see a beer commercial on the TV, that's the world saying God's way is wrong and our way is right. Every time that you see one of these lurid and wicked shows come on TV where they glorify sodomites and they glorify uh, premarital and extramarital uh, affairs, that's the world's way of saying, we're right, God's wrong. And we have to make our mind up as Bible believers who we're going to stand with. Are we going to stand with saying that the world is right or are we going to stand with saying that God's right? Well, the will of God is right for you. It's always right. It is the right way. If you can find that will, then do that will, because that will is the right will. Jonah learned that the hard way, didn't he? I don't want to go to Nineveh. But God got him to Nineveh. (laughs) He might have to hitch a ride in a whale's belly. You say, you believe that? Sure, I believe that. Man, I believe God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Sure, I believe that. That don't bother me. God may have to drag you along kicking and screaming, but God's got a will, and that will is always right. So that's the right approach to the the will of God. But then I want you to notice the areas of knowing the will of God. Now, as I've already said, I do believe God has an opinion about specifics, and I I believe sort of this way. People have asked, you know, preacher, do you think God uh, cares about what way I go home from work? Well, uh, you know, assuming that you're not living out in the dark depths of sin... And assuming that you're in step and in key enough and in tune enough with God that you're listening to Him that carefully, yeah, I believe God does have an opinion about that. I believe God will guide you in that manner. A lot of people that are worried about that aren't in church faithfully. (laughs) You know, a lot of people that are worried about that ain't reading their Bibles. A lot of people that are worried about that ain't been in the prayer closet in six months, but they're worried about what way to go home from work. So I'd say there needs to be balance, common sense with everything that we do. But I believe that God speaks loud on the big things. And I believe that God continues to speak even on the small things, but He might not speak as loud. Uh, he might not be as uh, directive, if that's the right word, in those matters. But there are three areas that Ezra points to that he says, we have to know the will of God about these. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if it's the will of God uh, for you, if you really could find the will and mind of God for you to take this road instead of that road to get home and you take the wrong road, God probably be gracious to you and, and lead you along and, and maybe get you home. There's been times I've done that. But there's three areas in this passage that are pointed to as being vital concerning the will of God. And I want you to notice them with us this evening. And I sort of, I've alliterated these to help you remember them. But look what it says in verse number 21. It says, To seek of Him a right way for what? Us. Let me say, number one, that one of the areas in the primary and the first area was their feet. And now, you'll understand why I said that here in a minute because it's alliterated. But they wanted to know the will of God for themselves. 
That was the primary thing. Now, they're going to talk about two other areas. Before they ever get there, Ezra says, I want to know the will of God for me, for my life. That needs to be the chief endeavor of every believer in this room, out of this room, all over the globe. That needs to be our chief endeavor. If you're not seeking the will of God tonight, then I know without a fact that it is the will of God for you to seek the will of God, and you need to make your mind up that you want to know what God has for your life. All of our lives are different. And so the will of God might be different for our lives. Now, again, there are some things that are the will of God for everybody's life. The Word of God is clear about that. But we need to endeavor to know what God has in heart and mind for us. I I believe without a shadow of a doubt right now, tonight, as we sit here in this room, I believe that concerning my work, my vocation, what I am employing the majority of my time in and pastoring, I know that that's the will of God for my life. I don't have any doubt about that. Now, God may change things tomorrow or the day after, but right now as we sit here, I can say with confidence that I know that I'm doing the will of God in that manner. Now, there's lots of areas of life where I may be failing uh, and not doing the will of God, and I may not be doing the best that I can in that area, but I know as far as what I need to be doing that that is the will of God for me. God has made that plain to me. Say, preacher, I want that. Well, pray for it. Pray for it, and you can have that. You can have that. You know the place you're working is the will of God. You know the place that you're living is the will of God. You can know the decisions you're making are the will of God. Uh, We treat the will of God like it's some kind of, uh, of cheap television game show, like God's trying to hide it from us. But God seeks for us to know His will. The question we have to ask is, what's in the way of us knowing the will of God? If we want to know the will of God, and if God wants us to know His will, then what's keeping us from knowing the will of God? You might find out that there's some blinders you've put up in your life. Can I say it this way? Blinders like this. Oh, God would never call me to do that. God, Listen, God would never call me to preach at my age. What's to say God wouldn't call you to preach at your age? Oh, God, ne- hey, listen, God never called me to teach Sunday school class. I've never done that. Well, listen, everybody that's ever taught a Sunday school class, there was a time when they hadn't taught it. Well, God never called me to witness to my neighbor. I'd say this, God's already called you to witness to your neighbor. But, I mean, it may be you specifically that God's going to use that capacity. Why wouldn't God do such a thing? If God uses the small things of this world, and the things that are not to bring to naught, the things that are, uh, the only reason God wouldn't use you or me is because we are something. But i got news for you. Uh, in this crowd, in this church tonight, uh, we're a bunch of nobodies. Somebody say amen to that. We're the exact kind of people that God uses to shape nations. We're the exact kind of people that God uses to preach His Word and declare the truth of the Gospel. We're the exact kind of people that God uses for big things. Not because we're something, but because we're nothing. Oftentimes we put those barriers up. We say, God wouldn't do that. Well, He sure won't if you won't let Him. But you might find out if you'd open your heart and mind to the will of God that He might do some of those things in your life. They were to find the will of God for their own feet. But I want you to notice they were to find the will of God for their families. God says, or Ezra says, uh, and God's saying it, but you know what I mean. Ezra says that we are seeking a right way for us and for our little ones. That's an interesting phrase. It has the idea of those that stumble. Could I, can I give you a word that we know? Toddlers. That's why we call them toddlers, because they toddle. I, I guess if adults toddled, we'd call them toddlers, but they don't. They toddle. <laughs> and, and the word, really, it has the connotation, the idea of stumbling ones, ones that can't keep their feet in the path 
and in the right way. And you know what God's trying to convey? I don't think He's necessarily focusing on the relationship only of children. Because let me say this, I believe that God has a will for not only our children, but for our spouse too. And I believe that God would seek to employ that will in our lives. And I believe, listen to me, I believe that as husbands we ought to be praying to know and to understand the will of God for our wives. And I think wives ought to be praying to know and to understand the will of God for their husbands. And we ought to be praying for each other to know and to understand those things. So I don't think that God is trying to say only toddlers or only little ones or only children. I think what He's trying to say is this. Ezra says there's some folks that God has given us an influence with and a responsibility with. There's some folks that are looking to you and me for answers, people. And we need to find the will of God for them. I'm a a firm believer in this, that I am not the proxy for your relationship with Christ. I know a lot of pastors that believe that. You ever met one before? They think that your relationship goes like this. I got a relationship with the Lord and then you got a relationship with me. I don't believe that tonight. I believe in the individual priesthood of the believer. Somebody say amen to that. I believe you have a relationship with God, and I believe I have a relationship with God. And God may use me to preach a word in season to you, and God may use me to feed you uh, the Word of God and to spread a table before you, but I am not a substitute for you when it comes to your relationship with God. You have a relationship with the Lord. And each and every one of us, we have people, though, that are looking to us for answers and people that are under the scope of our influence, we need to understand there are people looking to us. There are people looking to you for answers, that are looking to you for guidance. And it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to seek the will of God for those people. You know why? Because their feet are weak, because their legs are unsteady, because their way is not sure. And they might stumble out of the way, but you and I, we might be able to provide a word in season to help and guide them. Of course, it has a special application to our little ones. But I think to our families at large. I mean, to anybody that God has given us a door of influence with, we ought to be praying to know the will of God for them and for their lives. There's a third thing that Ezra mentions. He says not only our feet and our families, but he he mentions our finances. He says it this way, and for all our substance. It don't matter how you cut it. You can look at that word every time and it's found in your King James Bible and it always deals with money. Money. I know it's not all about money, but I know that for some of us it is. Somebody say amen to that. I know it's not all about money. I know God don't need your money. I'm aware of that. But I believe when it becomes an idol that God's interested in it, not because He needs it, but because He needs us. And sometimes our money's got a hold of us. I believe, and I, didn't, I, I hadn't made the connection until right now, but I know we're taking up that offering next week. We ought to pray about what God would have us to do. I know I already said it, but I promise this wasn't choreographed. I, but I do believe God has something in this for us. We ought to be praying about what God would have us to do. Let me ask you something. Have you put up some blinders with your finances? Now, raise your hand if you trust me. Oh, man, that's not a good ratio. How many of you know I don't preach for filthy lucre? I hope you know that. So I want you to temper what I'm about to say with that. Preacher, God wouldn't ask me to give that. I don't have it. Well, maybe God's going to give it to you to give. Some, there's some folks in here that can testify to that tonight. There's some folks in this room that can tell you times when God has hand-delivered something into their life only so that they could give it to someone else and be used for His glory. Have you got blinders up when it comes to the will of God for your finances? Listen, I know there's a system of tithing, and, I, and I, I'm not 
wholeheartedly dismissing that. I, I also understand that system was implemented for the support of the Old Testament priesthood. I understand that in the New Testament you have giving through grace, which is over and above. I believe we ought to set our standard of giving before we set our standard of living. And our standard of giving ought to set, be set by prayer, not be set by our financial and fiscal goals. Somebody say amen to that. We ought to be giving what God wants us to give. Now you say, well, preacher, I'm not sure. Do you trust God? Do you trust God to keep His promises? I'm not talking about sowing seeds. I'm not talking about, uh, about giving to Benny Hinn tonight. I'm talking about scriptural New Testament giving. Do you trust God with your finances? Because God has a will about them, about how much you give, about times when there might be an opportunity to, to give more. There might even be times in your life when God changes your giving and you have to give less. You better know it's the will of God when that time comes. I'm not going to say that's never going to happen. Uh, there's probably people in this room that at one time gave more than they give now. Because that's right. Hey, everybody's broke. Somebody say amen there. There's folks that are making half what they used to make. It may be that that is the will of God for them. But you better know it's the will of God. You better seek the will of God because God has an opinion about that. God has an opinion about what we give and how we give. And we could go, we preach a lot in that. I mean, how we use our homes, how we use our vehicles. Uh, the substance doesn't just deal with, with the cash dollars or the, or the number in our bank account, but it deals with anything that we've got. I believe we ought to use things responsibly. God, listen, if God blesses you with a bass boat, you ought to keep it dry on some, Sunday. Somebody say amen to that. You know, I, I mean, we ought to seek the will of God for those things. But I, I believe that as it comes to anything that God has blessed us with, we ought to seek to give God glory. Through it. So Ezra names three areas. Finally, I want you to notice this, and I won't keep you long. That ship has sailed, but I want you to look, look at the argument for knowing God's will. Why is it so important that we know the will of God? Well, there's three reasons. And I want you to notice in verse 21, and this is the last time we'll mention verse 21, but I want you to notice how it begins. Ezra says this, Then I proclaim to fast there. Now, that's a connective word, then. <laughs> In other words, what happened right before this verse bears upon what's happening in this verse. Ezra says, then, at that moment, for that reason, we proclaim to fast. Well, I don't have time to read through the beginning, all of chapter number 8. But if you were to read it and study it, you'd find that this is the scenario. Ezra is headed back to Jerusalem. And he has a company of Levites... Uh, with him and, and what the Bible calls Nethanims. That was a, a people group that were employed in the music ministry there at the temple. But as they get to the river Ahava, they realize they don't have as many people as they need. Now, they're headed to Jerusalem. They've got the holy vessels with them. Uh, they're getting ready to set up house and have church. And he realizes they don't have enough people to get the job done. So he says, then, at that moment, we stopped and sought the will of God. Let me say, number one, that we need to know the will of God because of the responsibility of the assignment that's given to you and I. They had a job to do. The only way to get it done was to find and do the will of God. Now, you and I, we've been tasked with several jobs. We've been tasked uh, to be a light in this dark world that we live in. We've been tasked both through our testimonies and through our testifying to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Every one of us, God has planted us in a New Testament church. We have responsibilities within that church that we need to carry out. Most of us have a scope of influence in our family and our friends, and God has planted us there to be a witness and to be a help to those people. God's doing a lot of things in our life, so we better know the will of God so we know how to do it. We better get the mind of God about these things so that we know how to do it. Whenever, and anybody that's joined this church since I've been here, they can testify to this. 
One of the things that I always, and probably every person that's joined, I can't say that without uh, some, some fear of maybe missing somebody, but I believe probably every person that's joined, I've told them the same thing. If you join Wall Ridge Baptist Church, don't join it because you like the preaching. Don't join it because you like the music. Don't join it because you like the, the ministries, because those things may get worse or may fall away tomorrow. Join it because you believe and know it's the will of God for your life. And I always seek to tell everybody, and, you know, and they all respond the same way. <laughs> they always wonder what's wrong, you know. That's the chief thing that we need to be seeking for. Why? Because our time is precious, man. We only have one life that we're going to live, so we better find the will of God and do it. Because it's a great task set before us to carry out the will of God. There was two things, and I'm not really going to preach them, but let me say this, they had a great duty, but they had a great deficit too. They needed to find the will of God because there was no way to get it done except by finding the will of God. God had a way to get it done. And they had to find out what that way was. A lot of ways they could have done it. And we touched on that. They could have called to the king. but They didn't call to the king. We're going to see here in a moment. You know what God did? God just had His hand on Their great fear as they traveled to Jerusalem was that they would be waylaid by bandits and that the holy vessels would be stolen. You say, what did they do, preacher? Did they go hire mercenaries? Did they go to the king and get a garrison of soldiers? Nope. They didn't do anything. They just set out down the road and the hand of God protected them. Now, what a mess it might have been if they had got a garrison of soldiers and that very garrison demanded payment when they got there out of the holy vessels. What a mess it would have been if they had hired mercenaries that had turned back on them and stolen everything they had. When they were traveling with God, they were traveling with the best traveling companion that there is. God had a will, and His will was right, and that was the only way to get the job done. I'm telling you this. You want to live a happy life? Find the will of God and do it. You want your family to be right? Find the will of God and do it. I can't promise you you won't ever have trials and problems and difficulties, but I promise you the road will be a lot better in the will of God than it is outside of the will of God. The way of the sinner, what does the Bible say, is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. So I promise you the will of God will be a lot better for you than anything else. I think because of the responsibility of the assignment, but I think also because of the reputation of the Almighty. It says this in verse number 22, and I'm sort of preaching out of order, but I want you to notice with me. He says, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. Now let me ask you something. As Bible believers, as Bible believers, we believe we have a personal God. Am I right? We're not deists. We don't believe God's the great clock winder. We don't believe He set the world in motion and set back on His celestial recliner never to trouble Himself with the affairs of man. We believe God has a distinct, specific will for our lives. And as Bible believers, let me ask you this. What does it tell a lost and dying world when we don't seek the will of God? There's reputation. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you got born again, the name of Jesus Christ got attached to your life and your actions. Like it or not, that's the way it is. As a Christian, when you tell people, oh, I'm a Christian, that means that they're going to form and, and shape their opinion of Jesus Christ based upon the way that you live. So that's one of the reasons it's so important that we know the will of God. That's one of the reasons it's so vital, not only that they know that we know the will of God. Man, what a testimony to a lost sinner that thinks nobody in the world cares about them and we can show them a God that knows the number of hairs on our head and we can show them that because we seek the will of God, find the will of God, and do the will of God. But I think also because living outside of the will of God is failure. 
I, I, I'm trying to be careful because as the world measures failure, I don't believe it's a sin for a Christian to fail because uh, as the world measures failure, it has nothing to do with spiritual uh, you know, quantities and ideas and things like that. But as it relates to the spiritual realm, I'm saying this. To find the will of God, let, let me give an example as a, as a church member. To find the will of God and to be faithful in the house of God. When we don't find the will of God in that matter, and we float around and bounce around from this church and that church, and no church is where we most of the time would end up, what a testimony in the poor way, in the negative capacity that is to a lost and dying world. I mean, the name of Christ is hooked to you and I, so we better find the will of God and do it. Thirdly, I want to say this, because of the roaming of the adversary it was important that they find the will of God. They say this in verse number 22. They say, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Now, some folks would have probably said to Ezra, Ezra, you're paranoid. There ain't no enemies out there. But there was an enemy out there. You'll find the same thing as a Christian. (laughs) When you say there's an enemy, there's an adversary, uh, let me tell you, as a preacher of the Word of God, if there is any truth that is scoffed by people, it is the truth that we have an adversary. And that's evidenced by the way a lot of people live their lives because they don't live sober and vigilant uh, and watching for that roaring lion that's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Ezra says we need to know the will of God because there's an enemy that seeks to destroy us. And we don't need to have any missteps. Let me tell you something. I know you're never going to live perfect. Right? You're never going to live perfect. But I believe you can live in the will of God. I, I fear that sometimes in our effort to make clear that we do not believe in sinless sanctification. Right? Because we don't believe that on this side of the grave. We don't believe that through self-effort or, or, or through, through denial of the flesh that we can become perfect and sinless on this side of the grave. Right? Uh, that, that, that's a basic biblical doctrine that, uh, that, you know, it's not the will of God for us to sin, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And these things John uh, wrote unto us, uh, because we do sin sometimes, because we do do wrong sometimes. Every one of us, we sin and we mess up. None of us are, are without sin. But I think in our effort to make clear our position on that, sometimes we throw away practical sanctification. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, this is what I mean. You ain't never going to be perfect, but that don't mean you have to live like the devil. You, listen, you're probably never going to live a life free of mistakes, but that don't mean you have to live constantly making mistakes. And there, you may never do the will of God perfectly without error, but that don't mean you can't know and live in the will of God. And we need to understand that we're living in a day when the devil is roaming about, when the forces of hell have been unleashed, when the world is boiling and raging in a fury. We're living in a day where the seething pot is running over. So we better get things in check, and we better find the will of God, and we better do it. Because the buffers are gone. The societal safety nets of morality are out the window. Listen, your kids, my kids, they're being raised in a world that tells them they can't even know if they're a boy or a girl. Society ain't going to pick up the slack. Uh, Church ain't just going to pick up the slack. It's going to take more than that. We're going to have to know and do the will of God for our lives. Because we have an enemy roaming about. We have an adversary that's seeking to destroy us. Finally, I want you to notice this. Now, I ain't going to preach on it, but I just want to say it. Look at the next verse. Verse 23, So we fasted and besought our God for this, and what? He was entreated for us. In other words, they sought the will of God and they found it. They found it. 
Hey, is there an area of your life where you're needing some direction? Seek the will of God. You'll probably find it. If it's something 40 years down the road, God may tell you to wait till He reveals it. But if you've got a decision you're having to make, seek the will of God. He'll let you know. It may take a little time to find it, but He'll let you know. You may have to tear down some of those blinders, but He'll let you know. You, you Listen, you may have to afflict your flesh a little bit, but He'll let you know because God has a will. He's got a will for your life, and He wants you to know it. So we better get a hold of that truth this evening with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed as the musician slips forward. Listen, don't you wait, though. As, as she comes, if, if there's an area of your life, God's touched on your heart, and you need to seek the will of God about something. Slip out of your seat right now. Right now. A lot of folks don't like to go to the altar. They're afraid people are going to think something negative about them. Well, here, listen, here's a good pass for you, okay? Tonight, you know what we're seeking? We're seeking the will of God. There's not a person in this room that don't need to know the will of God for their lives. And so as she comes to the piano, if God has stirred your heart, if there's an area of your life that you're seeking guidance on, won't you slip out of your seat and come down here? Afflict yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before God. Lord, I don't know the answer. But I, I know you know the answer, and I want to know the answer. I want to know your will for my life.